0: Good evening once again to the sisters and brothers of the Dhamma and friends, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, first of all, I'd like to uh, also extend a warm welcome to the Chairman of the Buddhist Lodge, uh, Mr. Lee Bokguan. Can we uh, uh, welcome Mr. Lee Bokguan? We are very grateful to Mr. Lee for allowing us to uh, use this beautiful auditorium, which has made it more convenient, I think, for most of us to come to this venue for this meditation workshop, as originally we had planned it uh, over in Simei, which might be might have been quite a drive for many of you. So thank you, Mr. Lee. Well, and of course, our uh, special uh, patron, spiritual patron and teacher, uh, Ajahn Brahm, who. He's on his way to another country, and the good thing about being Singapore, we are on the crossroads, and his favorite airline is none other than Singapore Airlines, so it always makes it a, a very fortunate thing for us that whenever he flies Singapore Airlines, he has to stop in Singapore. And those of you who knew that I was working for Singapore Airlines, I no longer work there, so this is not advertising. <laughs> And we wishing all of you a very happy New Year, and of course with the Lunar New Year around the corner, also wishing you a very happy Lunar New Year. It's wonderful to see so many of you here today, and those of you who are new to the Buddhist Fellowship, we are a English-speaking professional group. We have no place of our own, we've always been um, nomadic, and currently we are renting uh, space in Potenshire Temple, which is situated off Pasipanjang Road at Ch- uh, Chui, Chuan Road. So we welcome you there as we have regular programs that we conduct, Sunday service, uh, Tuesday night sutta classes, Wednesday evening talks, uh, youth service, and we also have a kids service. So those information should be on the uh, sheet that you've got in your hand. We're very delighted with the uh, response and the interest in meditation. And those of you who will find meditation to be um, a real practice that helps us to de-stress and become nicer people uh, we have an executive retreat coming up to be conducted by Ajahn Brahm in June, so do mark those dates down and more information will be coming your way, so you can take advantage of uh, really blissing out for a few days and not just for a few uh, moments while you're here today. So I think most of you know Ajahn Brahm, for those of you who are new, uh, he's indeed um, a very special person, Uh, grew up, and born in England, 1951. So with a quick calculation, you would know that he would be turning 58 this year. When we knew him, he was a young 50-year-old. And he came for the first global conference in Buddhism in Singapore. And since then, uh, he has been a highly demanded meditation teacher. And those of you who had got his clips on YouTube, would realize that he's got very high hits uh, for all his talks that are posted up. So he went to uh, Bangkok after graduating from uh, Cambridge University, graduating in uh, theoretical physics, and to become a monk. He was only planning to become a monk for two years, I think. He was going to get enlightened and then go back home. (sighs) Then he decided being a monk was such a wonderful thing that he has uh, stayed on. And of course, he was trained by Ajahn Chah, a very renowned meditation teacher, lived in the forest for seven years, tortured by mosquitoes and eating frogs and everything that you can imagine. And now he's uh, the abbot of Bodhiana Monastery in Perth, or one hour away from Perth, which is Serpentine. He has a monk factory there, as he calls it. So we're very fortunate to uh, have him come through Singapore on a regular basis and without further delay (laughs) and if all these people would wait for the books to be signed later we would really like to invite Ajahn Brahma to uh, conduct the meditation workshop. So let's give him a warm round of applause. (laughs) Thank you Ajahn. So let's get ready for a Blissful evening.
1: Okay, hello everyone. Welcome. <laughs> so, now is uh, the time we're going to do some meditation in a few minutes. So, for first of all, uh, just say a little few words about meditation. It's just a lovely, easy thing to do. Um, how to meditate is like how to relax. So, sometimes uh, we... Don't know. We know how to relax a body, but to learn how to relax the mind in exactly the same way we relax the body—to learn how to let go of things, not to stress, to loosen any tight places, just allow things to hang loose. And that way, that when you relax the body, it's like having a massage or having a spa. This is like massaging your mind having a spa for your brain. So <laughs> that when you come out after meditation, you feel just totally cool, relaxed, at peace. And if you do things like that, then your brain can last a little bit longer in life. <laughs> Instead of getting worn out by the time you're 40. Not only <laughs> does your brain last longer, but you'll be more peaceful and more happy in life. And not only that, Uh, you can become more wise about life because uh, I don't mind saying this, when people have asked me, when I've been giving talks around the world about Buddhism to people of other religions, sometimes they ask, well, you know, in Christianity we have the Bible, in Islam we have the Quran, in Judaism we have, you know, the Old Testament of the Torah as well, what is the holy book of Buddhism? And I say, meditation is the holy book of Buddhism. Because this is where we find our truth. This is where actually we find the answers to the meaning of life. sort of inside our deep meditation. So meditation uh, leads to relaxation, it leads to peace, it leads to all sorts of things. A good example of this, and this is a story I just told uh, to somebody today. Uh, some of you have heard me uh, speak on YouTube. Apparently, we are just mentioning the YouTube site, it's the 26th most visited YouTube site in Australia. So we're at number 26, but we're aiming for the top 10 next year. <laughs> so it's very, very popular. Some of you may have heard this story, some of you haven't, but it's a fascinating story in the 2000 Olympic Games in Sydney. This was actually, I was told this, but it was also printed in the Sydney Morning Herald, as an article. The Australian government arranged to have uh, religious chaplains in the Olympic Village in Homebush Bay so that any athlete who wanted a bit of uh, spiritual support would have their religious person available for them It was part of the service for the, the athletes. So there was also a Buddhist monk in the village to help any person who wanted some religious, spiritual help in this very, very stressful time. And this monk told me this story. That one day, an athlete came to him with her parents. Actually her parents dragged her to see this monk. She was from Russia. She had managed to reach the final of the 800 meters sprint. She exceeded her expectations. She never thought she'd get so far. And in a couple of days time, she would be running in the 800 meters in the Olympic games. Now for those of you (laughs) who have experienced stress or been nervous, imagine that. The cameras of the whole world focused on you, not just your friends and the people you know in the town where you live, but the whole world watching you. In a couple of days time she was having to perform in the final. So she was so nervous that she could not sleep and she couldn't even train properly, even though these were not Buddhists. They did know that Buddhists were the experts in meditation. So, the parents dragged this, their daughter to see the monk and begged him, Please, can you teach our daughter some meditation so she can relax? At least she can sleep at night. And so the monk taught her some meditation very quickly, similar to what I might teach you in a few moments. But, then they left. And because the monk doesn't watch the TV, he didn't know what happened, except for a few days later he saw the family, the two parents and the daughter, walking towards him. Now remember as he wrote this article in the Sydney Morning Herald, he wrote that the first thing he noticed were that these three people were smiling. The second thing he noticed was a girl who was standing between her two parents, had a, something on a piece of string which she was swinging. As they came closer, he noticed the colour was gold. That this woman, this athlete, had won the gold medal in the 800 metres sprint in the Sydney Olympics. And they came to say thank you to this monk for teaching their daughter how to relax to the point where she could not just reach her potential but even exceed her potential. That's actually what happened. That's one story of many which I've collected over the years to show just how meditation can help us to learn how to relax enough so whatever we do in life we can actually have very, very high achievements. So, having taught you how to meditate today, I hope many of you are going to compete in the London Olympics in four years' time. (laughs) And see if you can win some medals. But anyway, how to meditate, and meditation again is learning how to relax the mind. And learning how to relax the mind I'm going to teach this little meditation about how to relax the body in a way which is so much deeper than you've ever done before. As you relax the body, I'm going to be moving on from relaxing the body to also teaching you how to relax the mind. Now many people always think that meditation is very difficult. It's not difficult at all. It's one of the easiest things in the world to do. We sometimes make it difficult. If you have some good instructions, and I hopefully today that these instructions will be very meaningful for you, you'll find it's not that hard. And the particular method which I'm going to teach you now is applicable to everybody in this room. You don't have to sit on the floor to meditate, you can sit on a chair, you can be lying in your bed, you can be anywhere to meditate, it doesn't really matter about your body. What's more important is the attitude which we have for meditation. The most important thing about meditation is just to learn how to relax, how to make peace, how to be kind and how to be very gentle. We don't force anything. We allow things to expand, open up, relax, become very peaceful, very gentle and very free. Now. Instead of talking too much about the meditation, I'm going to lead you in a guided meditation for about 20 minutes. It's more important that you have some experience rather than just me talking about it. So, even though there may be some people coming in late, please don't worry about that. Now I want you to as you're sitting down, you can be sitting like I'm sitting or sitting on the chair, doesn't really matter if you now just get yourself nice and comfortable and in a couple of, uh, maybe 30 seconds, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and we can start this meditation. And please don't worry about meditation. I you know sometimes, some people, uh, because of some personal agendas, say meditation is very dangerous. And the answer always is, it's much more dangerous not to meditate. More people go mad and crazy when they don't meditate than they ever do when they meditate. Meditate makes you very sane, very stable, very strong, very healthy, very wise. So, you just sit down there, make yourself nice and comfy. And then we can start the meditation in a couple of minutes, seconds. There uh-huh. we go. Okay, so... When you're sitting down, I want you to first of all close your eyes. With your eyes closed, I want you to become more sensitive to your body right now. Just to know how you are sitting. Now ask yourself, Is there anything I can do to make myself more comfortable? Can I move my leg this way or that way? Or to loosen a tight piece of clothing? Ask yourself, body, what can I do to make you more comfortable? And then do that. The first one or two minutes when you meditate should all be about learning how to give quality time to your body and to make sure it's in a decent position. There is no magic posture for meditation. Everybody has their own posture. The one which works best for you. Now the meditation I'm going to be doing in a few moments will be a sweeping meditation which is very useful for people who have never meditated before and also for those who have meditated for many years. So first of all with your eyes closed I want you to be aware of your toes. If you cannot feel your toes with your mind, wiggle them, move them until you can notice the sensations or any feelings around the area of your toes. Once you can notice a sensation in your toes or in that area, recall that contact. You've established a line of communication between your mind and the furthest part of your body, your toes. It does not matter what that feeling is. Just so you're paying attention to the sensations in your toes. And now relax that sensation. See if by an act of will you can change that sensation to become more at ease, more comfortable, more free. You should be able to notice the sensation in your toes change. And the change gives you feedback so you can assess whether your toes are becoming more relaxed or more tense. Usually all it needs is some kindness and compassion sent to your toes and your toes relax and the feeling becomes more at ease, more free, more comfortable. As you learn to relax a part of the body you normally pay no attention to, your own toes. and feel them become more relaxed. Now move your attention up the feet until you can notice any sensation in either or both of your feet. Once you notice a sensation in your feet, we call that establishing contact. Now send kindness and peace to those sensations and see if you can relax your own feet. You'd be surprised how you can change those sensations and move them to a place of more comfort, more ease. As you feel the sensations in your own feet, change to being tingly, comfortable, relaxed. If there's any tight points, you loosen that tightness. If there's any stretching of the muscles or tendons, you deliberately take off the the pressure on either end, and allow things to be loose. And all the while, you keep the awareness on the sensations of your feet until the feet become tingly and relaxed. And once the feet and the toes are relaxed, move the attention up to your calves. Can you notice any sensation? in the lower part of your legs. That's called establishing contact. Now along that line of communication send gentle kindness, compassion. It's as if the muscles, the bones, the skin in your calves, in your lower legs are sinking into a very, very soft cushion. With no tension or tightness on anything in your lower legs. As you notice the feelings and sensations in your calves change and move towards a direction of more relaxation, taking away any holding, any tightness releasing, soothing, relaxing. Until the lower legs are also tingling with the sensation of relaxation. As you continue to relax the body stage by stage, now go to your knees. Can you notice any feeling, any sensation at all? In your knees. That's called contact. Now by an act of will, relax those sensations. Expand any tightness, loosen any knots until the knees too feel that they have been massaged As if they've been in a warm bath, expanded, comfortable, at ease. You're relaxing the feelings and sensations in your knees. Now the whole of the lower legs, from the knees down, loose comfortable, relaxed, to the max. Now go up to your thighs. Can you notice any sensation at all, anywhere in your thighs? Once you have connected your mind to that sensation, that's contact, now send compassion, kindness, metta to that feeling. Expand it, loosen it, free it. And notice the sensations in your thighs change. As if they too are sinking into a soft mattress. Similar to a feeling you have when you wake up after a deep sleep in the morning. You don't have to go out to work. You can relax comfortable, cosy. Now you have that feeling in your thighs. Just keep your awareness on the sensations in your thighs. Continue to relax them with kindness, expanding, easing, soothing. Just keep you aware of those sensations. As you've relaxed your whole legs, now move further up the body to your bottom, sitting against a cushion or a chair. It's very easy to notice a sensation in your bottom. That's contact. Now see if you can relax that sensation not necessarily by moving your bottom, just by an act of kindness, by an act of gentle willingness. You find you can relax even the pressures in your bottom, expanding, easing, soothing, freeing. So you're not holding, you're allowing all the muscles, blood vessels, skin to hang as loosely as they possibly can. With kindness, you're relaxing even your bottom. By this time, our awareness of our physical feelings is much stronger than usual. So now we go a few inches above our bottom to our waist. Can you notice any sensation or feeling in the area around your waist? It can be in the lower part of your spine or in your bowels, in the colon, or anything else inside or on the surface. Those people who have irritable bowel syndrome, find this method very useful. Notice the sensation in the area of your waist, inside or on the surface and send it kindness, compassion, expanding, easing, loosening, freeing. And the feedback from awareness will tell you whether you are going in the direction of more comfort or more tension. Go in the direction of relaxation. If ever there is a tightness there, expand it. Stop holding things. As you learn how to relax and expand the area of your body, Hold your waist. Soothing, comforting, relaxing. And then you move your attention a few inches higher to that area above the waist but below your chest. There you may have your intestines, livers, kidneys, that part of the spine and much else. Can you pick up a sensation or a feeling below your chest, above your waist? Send that feeling kindness, care, expanding, loosening, freeing. Just willing that part of your body to relax gently, you'll find the sensation does change. And even that part of the body starts to tingle with relaxation and comfort, staying with the feelings in that part of the body until you've taken them to a path, place of relaxation we can relax them no further. And then you can move upwards to your chest. Inside we have the stomach, a little bit above the lungs and the heart. For the women you have your breasts and this is a wonderful method for those with breast cancer or to avoid breast cancer. Can you notice any feelings and sensations in your chest area? You are aware of those sensations? Send them kindness, as much compassion as you possibly can generate. As if your mother was looking over you, smiling, caring, so you feel so relaxed and all those sensations in the area of your chest, in your lungs, your heart, stomach, breasts, upper back, relax to the max, soothed, expanded, so you're not holding anything tight, you're not pulling at anything. If there's any tightness there, it's like two people are pulling at the ends of a string. You tell them to let go, so the string sags and is no longer taut. Instead it's relaxed, loose, at ease. As you relax a whole area around your chest, Again, for those suffering breast cancer with possibility of any tumours or cysts, you should be able to feel that part of your body and send it so much compassion, expansion, softness and care. The whole area tingles with relaxation. Tension is the major cause of cancers. Relaxing, soothing, eases them, prevents them. Till the whole area of your torso is relaxed as you can possibly make it. Then you go up to your shoulders. Again areas of tension. Can you notice any sensations and feelings in your shoulders? Notice the sensation and just send it kindness. Care for it. and See if you can relax those feelings. Not totally but as much as you possibly can allowing your shoulders to sag, not holding anything tight, being aware of those sensations in your shoulders and letting them be relaxing, soothing, easing. There you go, down your arms to the upper arms including the elbows. It's amazing how many sensations you can pick up now once you're getting used to this method. Notice the sensations in your upper arms and be kind to them, relax them, expand them. Again, as if the upper arms have just been soothed in a warm bath. So the muscles are all loose, not tense, relaxed to the max. Now do the same with your lower arms, including your wrists. Can you notice any sensations in your lower arms and wrists? That's called contact. Establishing mindfulness in that area. Now send those sensations, gentle kindness and everything expands, loosens and relaxes. Now the end of those wrists are your hands. There are so many nerve endings in the fingers and palms. It's easy to pick up a sensation. Can you notice any sensation at all in your hands? That's establishing contact between your mind and your hands. Along that line of communication, send kindness, peace, and you may notice the sensations in your hand change, become more at ease, more relaxed. Keeping your awareness on the sensations in your hands and sending everything as much kindness and care. May all those sensations be at peace. May my own hands relax, expand. And you find you can relax your whole arm from the shoulders down to the tips of your fingers, until they too are tingling with a deep sense of relaxation. From the neck down, your body is more relaxed than you've ever been today. Just above the shoulders is your neck, your throat, the larynx. Some people have coughs. Pick up any sensation you have in your neck or your throat. Establish contact between your mind and that area of the body and just send kindness there. Don't try and stop the coughs or the irritation, just soothe it with kindness. Relaxing everything, not trying to control things but freeing everything you possibly can. Just focusing your whole mind on your neck and throat, sending it peace, sending it care, until that too starts to relax. Even that too can start to tingle with a sense of deep peace and freedom. Now you move to the front of your face with your attention. Can you pick up any sensations around your mouth or around your eyes? Relax those muscles as much as you can still with your eyes closed. See if you can bring those facial muscles to a deeper state of relaxation by establishing contact between your mind and those muscles and then sending soft compassion. And noticing the whole face relax more and more, and more, kindness, freedom, peace to your face. You know what it feels like, the muscles in the face more relaxed than they've been for days. A few inches behind your eyes is your brain. Relax your brain, any tightness, any control, any pushing and pulling, loosen off. It's not that hard to establish contact between a feeling in that part of your body. Relax that feeling so the whole brain becomes more loose, more relaxed, more free. Now you've relaxed your whole body, from the top of the head to your toes. Enjoy the feeling a cosy comfort. At the same time you've relaxed your mind, everything so soft, so free, just being in this moment, let things be and relax the whole world as much as you can in these precious moments. Before you open your eyes, how do you feel right now? Has there been a change from when you started to this moment we call now? How much more at peace do you feel? With many worries and concerns left way, way behind. Peacefully aware in this moment, with so many thoughts and worries, put down and left behind. Free, relaxed, The peace. How do you feel? Before you open your eyes, smile. And when you've established a smile, then you can open your eyes to end the meditation. Smile and then open your eyes. (sighs) There we go. So as you see, meditation is not that hard. All we need to do Just learn how to relax. Sometimes when people try to meditate, oh it's like just uh, their job, it's just another thing which they have to struggle with. And if you try and struggle, you know, with your mind, you just get even more tense and just more upset. But when you know how to meditate, all meditation is is learning how to relax and enjoy this present moment. There's a few little tricks in that sweeping meditation which were quite important. One of them was when you're focusing on sensations in your body, you're actually focusing on things which only exist in this present moment, just now because the feelings in the body, they're right in this moment, they focus yourself in the present moment, so you can't really be too concerned about the past or the future. In meditation, are the two main obstacles, being concerned about the past or worried about the future. As the past is, you know that you can't change the past, it's gone, it's finished. So why do you have to worry about the past? Sometimes the past is like the coffins of dead moments piled on top of your head. So imagine somebody going around Singapore with the three or four coffins placed on top of their head. They're crazy. And that's what it is with the past. It's gone, it's finished. So we should never really worry about the past. If you can learn how to let go of the past, oh you have such a wonderful life. Because so often something happened to us yesterday and instead of just letting it go and enjoying what's happening now, we imprison ourselves in the past. One of the stories which might help you is the story of this uh, man who when he went to work, somebody called him stupid and he thought, why did they call me stupid? They have no right to call me stupid. Why did they call me stupid? And you may notice that he's now allowed them to call him stupid three more times. (laughs) Every time he remembers this, he allows the other person to call him stupid again. So why do we do such things? So if we can learn how to let go of the past, people can only call you stupid once. In one ear, out the other, as they say. It's usually very helpful as a monk, because you've got no sort of hair to stop it going out again. (laughs) So in one ear and out the other, just let it go. With a little bit of training we can do that and this actually helps, because when we're focusing on the feelings of the body, we're letting go of the past. And as for the future, where is your future made? When is the only time you can do anything for your future? Now, here, right in this moment, you're building your future. So if we take care of this present moment, the place where the future is made, you're doing the very, very best you can possibly do for your happiness, health and well-being for the future. But every time you wonder about what's going to happen tomorrow, or what should I do next week, then you are neglecting your future. Because you are neglecting the place where the future is made and built right now. So remember that. If you really are concerned about your future, your health, well being, prosperity, now is the time. You should focus on, because here is where your future is made. So understanding this, we very easy to get into the present moment, just be here and now. And with the feelings in the body you can do that. If the feelings in the body don't work, another way of focusing yourself in the present moment is listening to sounds. The sound of the air con. So that focuses you in the present moment. Or the sound, if you're outside, the sound of the birds, or the winds in the trees, or even the traffic, it focuses you in this moment. So learning how to listen to sounds is another way, as well as the feelings in the body, of focusing. So here when we're watching the feelings in the body, we come into this first stage of meditation, which I call present moment awareness. But it's not just being in the present moment, we're adding the very important ingredient of kindness, compassion. This is one story, I'm sure I've told this before, I give so many talks all over the place. I don't know what I've said in the last talk, but one or two years ago, I was at a conference and uh, meditation is so popular throughout the whole world. That there's so much research being done on the power and effect of meditation. And this fellow, uh, Professor Philip Golden from um, Stanford, you know, Stanford University in Palo Alto, California, uh, Professor Philip Golden, he's just a professor of meditation. He's, all, he's like a psychologist, uh, doing all these experiments on meditation. The experiment which he did was to take a group of students, split them into two groups and one group he sent on a meditation retreat for one day. And the other group he sent to a spa for one day. At the university, you know, a spa, you know, with massage and hot baths and aromatherapy, you name it, you can do that in the spa for one day. At the university's expense, you know, Stanford's a very uh, wealthy university. Because he wanted to find out what makes people more relaxed, meditation or going to a spa. And when they came back and he tested them out, it was very, very clear that those people who went to a spa were far more relaxed. (laughs) Because they'd done these meditations, we have to sit up straight, the right hand over the left hand, cross your legs in full lotus and watch your breath, no matter what or else. (laughs) And that type of meditation is just too fierce. Because it missed one important ingredient. Kindness. Now the fellow behind me, the Buddha, (laughs) was the Buddha of the same character as Adolf Hitler? Was he like sort of some Pol pot, some sort of tyrant? He's supposed to be the compassionate one. So if he was teaching you meditation, would he tell you to do that? Sit up straight, cross your legs, stop. Of course he wouldn't, but you're so kind and compassionate. Oh never mind, that's fine. If you want to sort of go to sleep, that's okay. Never mind. Because the Buddha compassionate, remember. So remember that this is actually how we meditate, with kindness and compassion. And that was the reason why those people, so I asked him afterwards, what type of meditation do they do? They dada fierce meditation, instead of this very gentle and peaceful, kind meditation. So remember, you have to have the magical ingredient of kindness in meditation. Being kind to this moment. If you are kind and gentle to this moment, then the moment stays with you. That's why during this little sweeping meditation, you're just sweeping the body, sweeping your mindfulness through the body and every time you're being kind to those feelings, caring for them, being gentle, relaxing them. Did you notice that after a while, many of you found it very easy to notice those sensations, they were actually quite pleasant. They were relaxing. And the reason why they were relaxing, the reason why they were nice to watch, was because of the kindness you put into the meditation. That's crucial. So you're kind to it. For those of you who do other forms of meditation, such as like the breath meditation, or any other type of meditation, please be kind. Because if you're forceful, you'll find you can't stay in the present moment. You go thinking, wandering or whatever. Now you know, sometimes people watch the breath, can't breathe again. <laughs> it's just like some sort of Concentrate, it's like being in a national service. <laughs> this is not national service, it's not military. This is like Buddhism, this is compassion, kindness, relaxing. So remember when you're even watching the breath, let the breath go in naturally and calmly and gently. I know that sometimes people who do breath meditation, I won't teach this now, there's only so much you can teach in a couple of hours. But when you do breath meditation, sometimes people they begin to watch their breath go in, go out, go in, go out and it, they lose it somewhere. They don't know where the breath was lost, where they dropped it. So sometimes I give them a simile. Imagine that you've got your, your child, a little baby. I mean, if you haven't got a baby, you've got someone else's baby, you know, maybe your, your niece or your nephew or your grandchild. Imagine you've got your grandchild in your arms and you go to one of the shopping malls in Singapore. Would you drop the baby in the mouth? Would you leave it somewhere and wonder, "Oh my goodness, where did I leave baby? (laughs) Of course you wouldn't, you know why? Because you love that baby. Because you care for it. You find what you love and care for, it's very easy to keep your attention on. That is a trick for concentration. Not force, not pushing your mind onto something, but allowing that thing, whatever you're focusing on, to draw you in by adding the wonderful ingredient of kindness and compassion. Because when you actually love that thing in front of you, it draws your attention to it and keeps you and holds you there. Just like a little baby, if it's, especially if it's your child, you just love to watch and be with them. That's actually how we meditate, by adding this wonderful ingredient of kindness and compassion. So we did that with the feelings in our body that means we could stay with them, they became very pleasant. You may have also noticed when you were doing the sweeping meditation that you weren't thinking so much. Sometimes people say, oh I can't stop thinking, there's always some thoughts going through my mind. I think many of you would have noticed, a lot of times you're experiencing these sensations in the body, you weren't thinking at all but if there were any thoughts, they were very soft and easy thoughts. You know, a lot of times we think rather than feel. We think rather than see. We think rather than hear. To understand what I mean, it's a classic story, which I've said very often, but I can't improve upon this story. From the great um, Taoist teacher Lao Tzu, who used to go on a walk with his disciples every evening. One student could go with the Master on a walk. On this one occasion a young man got permission to accompany the Master on a walk. As they went on this walk in the evening, they came to a ridge in the mountains at sunset. In front of them was this glorious sunset in the mountains, the purples, the colors of gold and orange streaking across the twilight sky it was so wonderful that the student couldn't help himself but blurt out, Wow, what a beautiful sunset! There was actually a golden rule when you're supposed to be walking with the master, you had to keep silent, and he'd broken that rule, he'd spoken. And the master just turned around, went back to the monastery, would never allow that young man to go on a walk with him ever again. When his friends tried to plead his case, he only said what a beautiful sunset, what's wrong with that? The master responded that when that young man said what a beautiful sunset, he was not watching the sunset anymore, he was only watching the words he wasn't watching the sunset, he was watching the words. That was a wonderful, profound teaching of the difference between reality and thinking. The thoughts are the words. The reality is something more deep. When we think or say, what a beautiful sunset, we're not watching the sunset anymore, we're watching the words. When we think, oh, this is a beautiful, uh, beautiful piece of music. When we think what a beautiful piece of music, we can't be listening to the music anymore. We're listening to the thoughts again. So much of life is thinking. and We miss reality. The feelings in the body which you go through in the sleeping meditation, it's so hard to give these feelings a name. That's why even I struggle, tingly, Relax, soft, whatever. There's only a few words we have for feelings in the body, which is why it stops you thinking. You feel those sensations. You actually become far closer to reality when you feel these sensations. You don't give things names. Also, you learn much more how to be in this world rather than just be in the world of thinking. You actually hear experiencing the world rather than experiencing the thoughts. Wonderful thing to be able to be silent and just to listen to the birds, to see the stars in the sky at night, to feel the wind, to look at the person in front of you without giving them a name. Just to know them in a deeper reality than any thought or word can ever express. That's why when you learn how to meditate and you learn how to just see the world before thought comes and gives it a name, you become far more perceptive, much closer to reality and you'll find this world is not such a bad place after all. We think it is, but you know the reality is something more deep, more beautiful than we could ever think of which is wonderful and here you actually learn to, dis- to, to develop that mind which can know, which can feel, which can hear, before thinking comes along and spoils it. Another little exercise to prove this point. Yes, I love doing this one, especially in Australia. Because sometimes these Caucasians, they keep on saying, I can't stop thinking and I say, yes you can and they have an argument with you, they say, no we can't. I said, yes you can. I said, I'll prove it for you. If there's anyone here with, who assumes they can't stop thinking, I'm going to prove that you can. This little exercise is a wonderful exercise for everybody because as I'm speaking, what I want you to do, not just listen to my words, but also to listen to the reaction to my words in the mind, because as I'm speaking, just be aware of what's happening inside of you, because as I'm speaking you'll begin to notice some, some spaces between my words. In those gaps between my speech. What was happening in your mind? You were silent. You were actually listening, aware, waiting, without any thought going through your mind. The reason was, you never knew when I was going to start speaking next. So you had to wait. That's a beautiful little trick to show what it means to be silent. Fully alert. There it is again. (laughs) Now you know what it's like to be quiet and silent. And we use the feelings in the body to actually focus on that, so we can actually get to know these feelings and we relax them. When you do the sweeping of the body, I finished off with your brain, because that's where we think our mind is. You are know, up here. And when you relax the brain, most medical people say, actually, there's no sensations inside the brain, on the outside of the brain maybe, but not inside. So how on earth can you relax your brain? But you did. Because just the will to find any sensation somewhere which relate to what you think is your brain and your mind. And just putting some relaxation, some kindness there, you find actually the brain does relax and with it your whole mind relaxes. When you can learn how to do that, a very simple way, to actually take away all the burdens, the pressures, the difficulties which you face in life and just relax your mind. Why we do this? because we overburden our brain so much by thinking day and night. In the sutras, the Buddha said that our brains, they're like uh, a fire during the day and smoking at night, always hot. We never learn how to be cool and relax, because at night time, even though we're not fully working our brain, we dream, we worry and how many of you don't get a good night's sleep? Because the worries, the concerns which you have, you take into your sleep state with you. No mat- no wonder that when you wake up in the morning, you're grumpy. You haven't had a good night's sleep. Isn't it wonderful to be able to just learn how to relax before you go to bed at night? Relax so much that you have a really good night's sleep. So you wake up in the morning, sipidy doo dah, refreshed. Let me out there. Get me to work. I want to. And when you're playing soccer in the streets, you go for a tackle and so often I'd just scrape the skin off my knee as a kid. And of course you'd have blood and you'd be crying and I'd go to my mother and she would kiss it better. She'd put her mouth on that and give it a kiss and the pain would go straight away and it would heal up. Nowadays I think, my God, all those germs on an open wound. (laughs) But it would always work. Because the most important part was because she was being kind as my mother, she was loving me, and that's all it that was needed. Yeah, that was maybe the first part where I understood the power of like love to actually heal pain. And if my mother can do that to me, I can do that to me as well. So just imagine, just you know, you've got a sore knee, like the idea of kissing it better, being kind to it. There you go, and it actually works. So, whoever asks that question, train yourself until you can do it. It's really important. Until you can actually send kindness to parts of your body. Ah, oh, you'd be so healthy afterwards.
0: Ajahn Brahm, I've always thought that meditation means chanting. I find it difficult as my thoughts keep wandering as I chant.
1: Yeah, because sometimes chanting is far too active. Remember that like, to be able to uh, become still. We want to learn how to let go of things, to relax, to soften things, to calm things down. So sometimes chanting can be a bit too active. It's alright to do a bit of chanting at the very beginning of the meditation, just to focus yourself if you need to. But don't go chanting for too long. No, three or four minutes maximum. But don't go chanting, 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 chanting for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. Just a little bit of chanting, maybe at most, but mostly meditating remember that what actually the chants are, these are actually teachings of the Buddha. And the reason they were chants was because in the old days, before books and before the internet, before iPods, the only way you could actually remember those talks is by chanting them again and again and again. It was just a way the monks could make sure they remembered them. So nowadays you don't need to chant, just get the
0: iPod on. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> so practical <laughs> Ajahn, you said uh, to, be, to live your life is to be happy and to feel free uh, but being new to Buddhism I've always thought the Buddha always said life's suffering and it makes me feel very sad
1: <laughs> No, he did he said some people suffer but then we're trying to end suffering that's the purpose of Buddhism to say, yeah, there is suffering, but actually I I prefer the other way around, because if you read one of my, I think it was actually Open the Door of the Heart, it was in the introduction there, that I noticed this, if all these Buddhists are supposed to be into suffering, why are monks so happy? Have they forgotten the Buddhist teachings about suffering? And again, some of the happiest people I knew were the Buddhist monks and nuns. I realised afterwards that the third noble truth of the Buddha was like the end of suffering, which is happiness. Nibbana is the ultimate happiness. So these days when I teach the four noble truths, I start with number three first. Happiness and the cause of happiness. Are you interested? That sometimes there's no happiness. We know that happens. Why? is their suffering. So when we have the four, four noble truths, not just one of them, just suffering, but happiness, the cause of happiness, suffering, the cause of suffering, then we understand that Buddhism is teaching teaching about life and actually how to transcend that suffering. So by changing the order, happiness, the cause of happiness, unhappiness, the cause of unhappiness, we're actually keeping the core Buddhist teachings, just rearranging them for the purpose of marketing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It works. Ajahn Brahm, how (laughs) do we refrain from falling asleep when we are meditating?
1: You don't refrain from falling asleep. If you're tired, it's natural. So just allow yourself to fall asleep, you deserve it. (laughs) So if you actually, if you do let, let it be, and you really relax. If you do fall asleep, you don't fight it, it doesn't last that long. Five or ten minutes usually. If you don't fight it, then you wake up afterwards. Because all it is, is just the poor brain hasn't got enough energy. And it just needs to regenerate its energy. So just relax, be peaceful, be kind. And that way the energies will start flowing into the mind and you'll wake up. And the wonderful thing is when you do come out of the sleepiness in meditation, in the proper way, afterwards, you're so peaceful, so alert. If you fight sleepiness, when you come out of it, when you conquer sleepiness, you're tense and you're restless. So don't fight it that way. It's part of nature. So be kind to yourself. You're tired. You've been working hard. If you're sleepy, allow it to be.
0: Whoever asked that question, you're not alone. There were six questions of the same nature. And I'm sure there's about a hundred people here who didn't ask it, who probably do the same thing.
1: If ever you come to any of our retreats, which we teach, you'll find the first couple of days, you say you can sleep as much as you want. (laughs) Because we call it in psychology, sleep deficit. Ask any psychologist, any doctor. Because we don't sleep enough, and when we do sleep, we don't sleep deeply. Usually in the retreats which I run, as Angie knows, the first couple of days, I think the last one she went in, she couldn't believe how much she was sleeping because she deserved it. She works too hard. But after a couple of days, you catch up on your sleep, and you really relax, and you can sleep as much as you want. You don't feel guilty about it. Wow, that's such a relief. You mean I can get up sort of just before breakfast. Yes, and you can go to bed after breakfast as well. <laughs> Oh, this is bliss. <laughs> and after a couple of days, you actually catch up and you want to get up early because your body's refreshed. So don't force it.
0: That's <laughs> true. It's, it's a sleep therapy as well. Whenever you go to Ajahn <laughs> Brahm's meditation retreat, you never feel that you have to wake up at a certain time, and there are no bells. So you can just sleep and sleep. So usually I don't wake up early. <laughs> Another question, I would like to know whether the light that I see during meditation is an imagination or a sign?
1: Okay, 99% of the time if you see a light in meditation, it's called a nimitta. It's just part of the whole process of meditation. Uh, What happens is when the five senses of seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting and physical touch get very still, they disappear. What comes up next is the experience of the mind. And that's nearly always as seeing a beautiful light, maybe not a beautiful light at the beginning, maybe just a dull light but some sort of light, but very often a very beautiful light, and very powerful, and sometimes of colours which you don't see in the real world, but are real colours. For you, it's the mind sees these things. So this is the nature of the mind. This is when you get to the really juicy part of meditation, <laughs> when sort of everything gets so still, you get some really fantastic mind states. When those come up, don't get afraid, don't sort of try and uh, reject them. This is part of nature, just go along with them. It's a very wonderful thing to do and when you start developing these limiters, beautiful lights, wow, you're really doing wonderful things in meditation, you get so blissed out. These are the times when, you've heard me say this before, you get into those stages of bliss better than sex. This is where you get much, much better than sexual orgasm. That's why it's a really nice thing to do. Especially as a monk, you can't have sex but you can have your meditation
0: <laughs> There are not many monks you hear that sort of words coming out of their mouth <laughs> What can I say? He's a cool <laughs> monk <laughs> Anyway, if you want to know more about Nimitta and all the lights sir? there's a book by Ajahn Brahm Happiness to Meditation that gives you a very good description of the different type of lights and what Nimitta is all about Moving on to the next question when we concentrate on relaxation and joy, isn't this an attachment? Oh
1: no, <laughs> because
0: it's these things happen when you let go of
1: attachments. Remember this is stillness, letting go, relaxing. That's not attaching. This is what happens when you let go. Unfortunately, that sometimes that people, they got the wrong idea that this is a story one of my friends our disciples, he became a new Buddhist and so he started keeping the five precepts. And the fifth precept, as you know, not taking any alcohol. So, he went to a party and uh, when the alcohol was served, he said, no, I'm not taking any alcohol, no beer, because I'm a Buddhist. Now, many people in Australia know Buddhism now. It's not a foreign religion anymore. Many people understand it but they don't understand it that well because the person serving alcohol said, ah, oh, you're a Buddhist. Yeah, I know about Buddhism. It's all about letting go. Come on, let go. I have a glass of alcohol. <laughs> That's wrong. That's not what letting go means. Or well, people say you're just attached to your precepts. You know, come on, have a bit of adultery. Come on, steal something. That's not being attached to your precepts. It's the other things of attachments. Precepts and virtue is a sign of letting go. Because when you really let go, you don't have the anger to kill things, you don't have the greed, you know, to actually to steal. You know, you don't have the lust to actually to cheat on your partner. You don't have the desire to need to lie or to take alcohol. Everyone knows that alcohol is an escape. So you don't need to escape anymore. The same with meditation. This is just the result of non attaching. When you let go and don't attach to things, you feel so free. You are happy. And this is what happens the lights happen. These are a sign of letting go, a sign of non attachment. So, this is what's supposed to happen. You're supposed to be happy when you get enlightened. It's a waste of time. If you get enlightened, you're miserable as ever. What's the point? <laughs> so, this is. The fruit of letting go is the happiness and the peace. Okay.
0: How can meditation help in labour pain? Oh, brilliant. How would you know anyway, Ajahn Brahm?
1: I'm an expert on these things. Remember that you've lived many, many times. Not... It's not, I wasn't always an Angmo.
0: <laughs> oh, quite low.
1: <laughs> so,
0: the, a lot
1: of times any pain, especially labour pain, number one, fear. So, just relax and let go. Number two, you know, is sometimes we don't know how to relax our bodies. And sometimes it means we have to have injections to learn how to relax. Now if you've done some meditation and uh, many students have done this and they've given birth, they have a wonderful time giving birth, they know how to relax, they know how to let things be and they're not afraid. They're in the moment. So much we tense up. Why do we tense up? Because of fear of what's going to happen next. If we can be in the moment, no fear and learn how to relax, Of course, there's some contractions which go through your body, are far softer and because we don't tense up, the baby comes out much quicker. And people who have meditated through pregnancy, this is only anecdotal but I've been teaching this for such a long time now. It really is worthy of a study. People who meditate during pregnancy, their babies are just so peaceful when they, the next uh, few months when they're born. They don't tend to cause mum and dad sleepless nights by crying all night or by waking up in the night. So much so, if any of you are pregnant, please learn how to meditate. You'll save a lot of suffering for yourself (laughs) your sleepless nights.
0: Thank you, Ajahn Brahm. (laughs) Um, Sometimes I see images or mudras during meditation. Is this an insight? Why do I see images?
1: Some images. Sometimes we see those images when the mind starts to become very peaceful, and you let it go of the outside world. You get more energy and more space for the inside world, so you can see some images sometimes. But when you see images, that many meditation teachers said, "Oh, don't worry about those. Just go back to your meditation object." But I said, "No, look, enjoy it. It's like seeing a free movie, and it doesn't last that long. It's a sign that you know your mind is getting peaceful and quiet. It's a bit of playtime. That's all." It is a little bit of playtime, but don't get into it. Number one, don't think it's important and real. Whatever you see, it is mind created, so don't think these things are, are real things come into, coming into your mind. If you see a group of numbers, don't buy that locker number, <laughs> you will lose. <laughs> okay.
0: Must meditation be guided when you're a beginner or, and will I go mad otherwise?
1: No, I've been teaching for meditation for I don't know how many years. I haven't had any casualties yet. <laughs> and I don't intend to start now. No one goes mad. You go mad when you don't meditate. I think you know that for sure. So, you can have enough guidance. The most important thing with meditation this is why I taught it to many of you, assuming that some of you may be beginners here. You just learn how to relax, take it easy, be kind, be gentle. If people become forceful and controlling and strive, then they can sort of create problems for their body and for their mind. And that, that's really not the right way of meditation. One of the sayings of the Buddha, and I love this saying, he said, Buddhism is a path without any groaning. No groaning. It's a simple, easy, peaceful, happy path. Not a part, oh, oh, This hurts. This is not groaning, not pain. It's like peace letting go. And you should know that because most people understand this is the essence of Buddhism, kindness, peace, compassion. No, Buddhism is, never has been warlike. No, we don't go out. we're not aggressive. But some people are aggressive to themselves when they meditate, and that's not Buddhism. So be kind, be gentle and then there's no problem whatsoever. You can do it by yourself.
0: Okay, and this is the last question. It's a very interesting question. Um, Meditation has allowed awareness of the physical body, but what about the awareness of the feelings and emotions?
1: Okay, the feelings of the body, if you're talking about the pleasure and the pain in the body, that becomes very clear at first, when you're meditating. Because when we're meditating on the body, how do you know the body? By the physical feelings in the body. That's how we know the body. That's how we contact it. And As we get to know those feelings in the body, we use those feelings, the pleasurable feelings first of all, as a path towards stillness and peace. The More peaceful we get, the more stillness we get, the more awareness we have, the more penetration we have. And that's actually where we start to get our wisdom from. A good example of this and this is a story which I tell in every retreat but it shows you just the importance of stillness and actually understanding emotions and also understanding feelings and understanding everything. It's a story of the monastery where I live in Australia. It's on top of a hill and as the usual um, tale goes, we chose to build a monastery on top of a mountain because tradition says that's where holy people live, on top of mountains. So you never hear of holy people living in a swamp <laughs> except for Yoda, the <laughs> JD Knight. But that's Hollywood and we're in real life. So we're on top of a hill and it's, about two, it's actually 2.1 kilometers from the plain, the foot of the hill to the top of the hill. For about seven or nine years, I forget how long now, when I first lived in that monastery, I'd always go up and down that hill in a car. One day, it was a beautiful spring morning, I had time and I told the driver, let me off at the bottom of the hill, I'm going to walk up today. So I decided to walk the two kilometers up the hillside. The most important part of this story was as I was walking, I was so surprised I could not recognize my surroundings. And I'd been up and down that hill for nine years and I started to see things I'd never noticed before. And it was so surprising I stopped. And when I stood still, I saw even more things I'd never noticed before and what I saw looked very, very beautiful. Exquisitely beautiful. I started seeing lichen on the rocks and and the tessellated tree trunks and little clumps of flowers and bushes which I never noticed before. It was so beautiful and it was such a strange experience. I thought about that afterwards and I got this wonderful simile out. The reason why I could never see things when I was watching through the window of a speeding car is basic science. To see things, light reaches the back of your eye, the retina, and forms a chemical image. When I was in a speeding car looking through the window, one image would form, before it was fully formed, another image would come and dislodge it, and then another image. The image would never fully develop, and I'd never have time to explore it. So when I was actually looking through the car, I was only getting a fraction of what was out there. And the colours weren't deep, they hadn't time to fully manifest themselves. When I was walking, my eyes had more time. The images had more time to establish themselves and my mind had more time to explore them. I was literally seeing more. But nothing could be just standing still and allowing my eye all the time it needed to form a full image and for the colours to be so rich. Which is what happened. When standing still, the grass was more green than I'd ever seen before and I see so many different textures and colors everywhere, it's exquisite. Now that's obviously, you can understand with the nature of the eye how that works. Now you can understand with the nature of the mind. Most people live their lives as if in a speeding car looking through the window. That's called your life. When you're in a speeding car looking through the window, you only see a fraction of what's out there. And what you actually see is washed out the colours aren't rich, the feelings aren't full. because You can have no, no time to actually to fully manifest those feelings or explore them. When you go slower in life, you feel more, you taste more. Actually food tastes more delicious when you meditate and you learn how to go more slow in life. Your food tastes more delicious. I know I shouldn't say this but even sex is more delicious when you stop going so fast. This is only through extrapolation, not through experience. <laughs> <laughs> but also, like colours, everything else gets more beautiful. And that's what, what happens when you meditate, when you go so slow and the mind becomes still. What you see, you just see much more of. And actually, you also see so much more happiness. It's more beautiful the slower you go. And that's actually when you understand what emotions are. When you're really slow, you can investigate, you see more of them. You're not just going through the window, looking through the window of a speeding car and emotions, they come and go, we never really understand them. When you go slow and very still, have a powerful mind, so easy to see what these emotions are. And what you do, you keep the good ones, just like, you know, the, the things in life. The good emotions like love, kindness, inspiration, the the wonderful acts of generosity, peace is an emotion, you keep those beautiful emotions. The negative emotions such as fear, guilt, anger, grief, jealousy, the negative emotions we do away with, they're, they're useless. So as you develop as a Buddhist, you don't become like an emotionless robot just sitting here with a horizontal mouth, nice things, bottom things are all the same. The Buddha was never like that. The wonderful emotions like peace, like joy, like love, those are the ones which you manifest, they grow stronger. and The negative emotions vanish completely away. So you understand what emotions are, what their place is in life. That's how you become enlightened. Emotionally pure, blissed out, and as happy as you could ever hope to be.
0: Thank you, Arjun Brahm. Okay. Sadhu, 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 For those of you who have never been to the Executive Retreat by Ajahn Brahm, I'd just like to take this opportunity to explain to you The retreat is from the 13th to the 21st of June, and it's actually uh, in two parts. The first part is four and a half days, where it's a very, very soft retreat. It's what we call a five-precept retreat, so you only need to observe five precepts. uh, Refrain from killing, stealing, lying, intoxicants, and no adultery. But you can sleep with your partner. So uh, you can also swim, you can go for golf, and you can even... Go for a spa. So that's a really soft retreat, and Arjun Brown will be giving a guided meditation as well as uh, teachings and Q&A uh, every day. Then the second part of the retreat would be the more serious retreat where you will observe two more precepts, and that is no music or entertainment and uh, no makeup or any beautif- beautification items. So that means no um, deodorant either. That's that way you really smell your own body, and you practice uh Deodorants all
1: right. right. Oh, Deodorants? Yeah, okay. sure it is. Hey, that's a new one. No, it's not, because it it takes away the odor, it doesn't add more odors.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> Told you it was cool. <laughs> okay, uh, so that's out of kindness for other people; they don't have to smell you. <laughs> so that's the uh, second part of the retreat, where it's more serious, and there's also silence. So, there will be no speaking to each other. So, that, uh, please let us know if you're interested so that we can contact you once the details are out. It's most probably in Thailand and uh, most probably in Hua Hin, but the details will be confirmed. In the meantime, if you'd like to attend a meditation retreat, Ajahn Chatamalo who is uh, Ajahn Brahm's disciple, will be conducting a retreat during the May 1st weekend. And it's a weekend you can either stay at the Buddhist Fellowship Center or you can actually go home and just come every day for the meditation. We also conduct meditation courses, so if you're interested. And starting, I believe, in two weeks' time, please check the uh, exact date, uh, we'll be conducting an introduction to Buddhism classes. So you're most welcome to come to those classes at the BF Center, on every Wednesday evening, and that's free. We will be launching a degree program in Buddhism and Management, which is going to be um, in affiliation with Mahachulalongkorn Kong University. So that will be starting later part of the year. More information will be given out at a later date. This Sunday is Chinese New Year Eve, and there will be a Sunday service, so do come and attend the Sunday service if you're in town. And we are looking for vocalists and musicians. If any one of you out there can sing, uh, even in the bathroom, you can always come and try. And just uh, contact our office and let us know so that we can call you in for an audition. So please join me to thank the staff, Ancient and Weiling, for always working very hard to <laughs> man the office. All the phone lines and all the events that uh, we hold. And, of course, all the volunteers led by Brother Albert. All these uh, brothers and sisters in the green and yellow. And I'd also like to thank two special people. Are JT here. JT Po, are you here? JT Po and Alex, uh, can you please stand up? <laughs> I'd like to thank them. Because they're the ones who um, work really hard to get the permit and get the books printed. Ajahn Brahm's Opening the Door of Your Heart in Chinese printed for the Chengdu earthquake victims to get them distributed. And uh, it, it was no uh, easy feat. So thank you very much to these two special individuals. Okay, you may have uh, seen an envelope on, on the chair. We hope that you can uh, consider signing up gyro in support of, um, of the cost of running the center as we have two full-time staff and we also rent the, the space from Bonshu Temple. So we incur a 12000 to 15000 a month uh, cost. So we hope that you can uh, support the Buddhist Fellowship. As uh, you can see, we do a lot of uh, activities and events to bring the Dhamma and, medit- and the teachings of meditation to everyone so, um, and if you also like to make a donation to Bodhiyana Monastery uh, which is Ajahn Brahm's monastery you may tick it on the envelope and return it uh, with your uh, cash but please don't give any cash to Ajahn Brahm we want to keep him really good and pure he doesn't touch any money he doesn't have a credit card he doesn't have a mobile phone and please don't offer him massage chairs and all these uh, pleasurable things because you don't want to corrupt good monks. So, and he doesn't drive a car or ride a bicycle. <laughs> so with that, I'd like to request Ajahn Brahm to do a little short chanting in transference of merits, and especially to a member's brother who's just passed away, Richard Tan, a very young man. And also I just heard that uh, somebody's, um, uh, somebody who... who whose grandmother passed away and his mother um, went into depression and she just jumped as well and killed herself. So in these times of uh, economic crisis and people having family problems, I think it's very important that we try to reach out and show kindness and compassion so that we can, in fact, uh, touch their lives in a positive way. And most important, we know how to be happy so that we can indeed help others. Arjun Brown, please. Okay, we do the e
1: may together. Yidam men yatinang hotu sukhita hon tu yatayo Yidam men yatinang hotu sukhita hon tu yatayo Yidam men yatinang hotu Sukitaḥ antyateyo sadu
0: sadu sadu. Very good. Thank you, Ajam. Okay, let's do three prostrations. Those of you who are able, you can just bow them.